The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, if you have a Bible, you, uh, all, the screen, all the verses will be up on the screen if you don't. Um, if you do have a Bible, we're in the book of 1 Peter. Um, the way we do things around here is uh, we just pick a book and we preach all the way through it. Um, as also, um, if we could put the Q&A number up front, uh, if you have questions during uh, the sermon um, and want to ask anything, uh, you can uh, text that number and it'll go straight to my phone and I will do my best to answer uh, re- um, after the sermon uh, again, as best I can. Um, so that being said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for us. Uh, I'm going to actually read a couple verses. Um, my Bible opened to the book of James, not the right place. First Peter. Um, First Peter two. Uh, I'm going to read a f- couple verses from First Peter two, and then I'm going to read verse First Peter one through seven. Um, verse Peter two, verse eleven to twelve, and then I'm going to pick up in verse three, verse one to seven. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners. And exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Down to verse chapter three, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of jewel, gold jewelry, or the clothing, you, um, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart and the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah did obeyed Abram, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, as we step into this passage and consider what it has for us, we read it as people who are going towards our home with you, that don't live in a place that quite reflects what your home is like, and help us to be people who live like you, Father, that honor those around us, even in our own homes, when things are difficult and complicated. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, at our small group this last week, we determined that the world is incredibly complicated, and this passage does not help us out in making it simpler. Um, I'm not sure how you've been responding to the politics of our days or just the life that we live these days. Um, things are complicated, and it's hard. And as we step into this passage, it's one of those passages where you read it face value and you're just kind of like, whoa, bro, chill out. It certainly doesn't invite us to feel um, less like things are less complicated. When we read these verses, I'm sure some of you have read them, but have had them preached or read before, and your experience has been, yikes, 
And here we step into these verses again in the midst of a complicated world. And we're just going to say it's not any less complicated. But I think what we have in this passage is an invitation for how to live in complicated dynamics, how to live in um, a life that is not easy to understand all the time, how to live with circumstances that are not the best of what we would hope for or even what we think they should be. The reason I started out, frankly, by reading verses 11 to 12 is because what I want to do as we step into these verses, rather than reading them at face value and saying like, okay, here's instructions for Christian women who are wives, we want to remember that the framework of what's going on and what uh, Peter is addressing is to people who don't live where they belong, right? If you are in Jesus, you belong in the renewed earth with Jesus. That ain't here yet. (laughs) We live in this exile. We live as, you might remember, we have refugee neighbors, refugee neighbors who don't live where they're from, and they want to get back to where they're from, but they live in, I mean, some of them are from Saudi Arabia and all that, and I don't think they've ever seen snow before. They're trying to figure out how to live here. This is how we're trying to figure out what does it look like to live in a place that doesn't reflect what God's house is like, what God's world is like. So the reason I started out, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may speak against, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they, and when they see your good deeds, they will glorify God in the day of visitation, is that we see these categories of what Peter's addressing as being governed by this exhortation, your life among people who aren't believers in Jesus is what he's talking about. Even down into verse 16 of chapter 2, live as free people, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. In Jesus, you're freed from the power of sin. You are freed from the enslavement to sin and the ways in which it destroys your life. You're free to live to righteousness in Jesus. But he's talking about these three categories where things are not quite, like when we think free, we're like vacation, Caribbean, here we go, (laughs) all expenses paid trip. No, Jesus does not pluck you out of difficult circumstances. When you get saved or you come to Jesus, he doesn't just say, okay, all these difficult things in life, out of that. You're still in the midst of those difficult situations. You are, you've changed your allegiances while still living in the same zip code, so to speak. So when he talks about the next three categories in this chapter, slaves, wives, husbands, he's, he's zeroing in on three very complicated situations. First of all, the Bible does not condone slavery, but it does acknowledge that people at that time were subject to slavery. And so how do you live that out? Right Now that you are in this intimate relationship of knowing Jesus and yet your boss is demeaning and degrading you, as a slave, how do you live that out? Then he steps over in the categories for our passage today, which is why I'm just kind of harping on this, this category of being a believer on in exile to wives who are married to a non-believing husband and a husband who's married to a non-believing wife. That's what he's addressing. And so you can see off the bat, we're talking about intimate relationships that are complicated and not easy because Jesus is on the move to make people new. Like, that's the whole point of why this passage is here. 
is because Jesus is saving people, making them new, and yet here they are. They're still in their stations in life. They're still married. They still have their jobs. They still have their political ties, everything else. But on the inside, the renewal of Jesus has begun. So how do we live in that complicated dynamic? It's not easy. So what we want to do is you want to kind of take that info and then start to walk through verses 1 to 7 real quick. Is that you guys tracking what we're going with here? Again, if you've got questions, they are right. <laughs> Q&A right there. So here's the main point of what we want to look at, and then we're going to delve into verses 1 to 6. Honor those closest to you, even when loving Jesus makes the world more complicated. Right? How do you exist as a person? How do you exist as a believer in a world that is increasingly complicated? And the way Peter goes after that is um, you can live in Rome or you can live in Manchester, but if you're married, that marriage goes with you, right? He's talking in on marriage, but this isn't just like only for the married people in the room. I think what we get in these verses is how do we as people live when our intimate relationships are complicated? So we're going to go to verse point one, verses one to six. And the reason I have wives bracketed, wives, is because he addresses wives, but because they are in a disadvantaged situation in this intimate, complicated situation. So let me read verses 1 to 6. I hope that as we begin to read through this, we're going to kind of read through this a few times, you'll, kind of, you'll begin to walk with me and having the immediate kind of offense of the passage shifted to being kind of like, oh, this totally makes sense. I understand what's going on here. Verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband, husbands. By the way, this is not all wives to all husbands. It is he's speaking to a singular wife, to a singular husband, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> Just to clarify the language. <laughs> um, so that even if you do not obey the word, so that even they, they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing or, and the, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abram, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. All right, so let me just kind of step here, some of the context of what's going on. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I'm going to reiterate it for this week. In the ancient world, especially in the Greco-Roman world, um, husbands were basically kind of like the CEO of the house. And everybody who lived in that house had to go along with the program. He called the shots and everybody got in line. So whatever the, the husband's religion was, that was the religion for the entire house. Whatever the husband's friends were, that was, those were the friend network for the entire house. Whatever the husband's political um, affiliations were, that was a political affiliation for the entire house. Everybody got in line. Husband, wife, children, slaves. Everybody depended on him to call the shots for everything. And so then you have here the gospel of Jesus Christ coming in and saying... If you put your allegiance and your faith in Jesus, who is the king of the world, he will free you from the power of your sins. 
you can immediately begin to get a flavor of how that is a disruptive message to the harmony of this pyramid. A wife having a different religion from her husband? Out of the gate, that's a big no-no. And it puts everything else, the harmony and the way in which that contributes to the peace and well-being of the society around them, in jeopardy. So a few things to kind of note here, right? I have to make sure I get my notes right. A wife's religion being different from her husband's was a big no-no. Husbands, um, having your wife leave the house to go worship this guy who was a carpenter crucified by the state and Jewish religion to then rise, supposedly rise from the dead and claim power and glory over the entire world. Um, not only was that just kind of a weird religion, but then also um, she is leaving your umbrella, so to speak, and going out and doing something that you're not a fan of. So mark number two, that's a big problem. Third thing is that by going to this other place to worship without him, she is now developing a, a network of friends and relationships that is different from his. You get that? Like you come to church here, you're going to get to know different people. <laughs> you know, we're uh, kind of like the island of misfit toys, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and then the fourth thing is this, this whole thing of what he talks about, right, do not, verse 3, do not let the adorning be external, the dressing up thing. So, again, this is not a commentary on uh, contemporary, like, wearing, I, I obviously wear a lot of makeup. <laughs> and my hair, I braid my hair every night. <laughs> so, what he's commenting here is that if a woman dressed up, basically, and stepped outside her house to go do something without her, her husband chaperoning her, she was going out for some sexual immoral thing, be it a, you know, some, something. You can kind of get the idea, right? So basically, if she dresses up to go to church, it's implying something about her that reflects poorly on her husband when she's just quite innocently going to church. So with that in mind, when we read these verses, what we have Peter saying is he's affirming her at core levels, right? First of all, husbands were the only one who did the instruction in the house. Here's Peter sidestepping the husband. You have dignity as a woman. You are invested with the very image of God and worthy of respect and, and instruction from the king himself. And I'm his messenger to tell you what it means to follow the king. Here we have him... Um, acknowledging the validity of her choice to make a different religious option than what her husband, you know, her husband worships, worships Zeus or Apollos or whatever. Here she's saying, I'm in on team Jesus. And he's affirming that's right and good. In the midst of what that kind of begins to make some tension points, he then says, for the sake of the gospel, submit to your husbands. Basically, don't make his job harder simply by becoming a believer. Become a believer. Worship Jesus. But this submission part here, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, right? So we're clearly talking about a non-believing husband. They may be one without, with, by the word of the conduct. Sorry, I missed a word there. One without a word 
by the conduct of their wives, that they may see your respectful and pure conduct. Right? If you're beginning to kind of get the, the sense of this picture of what's going on here, right? Here is the mission of Jesus breaking in even to a house and disrupting the way in which could the, uh, and putting at jeopardy the cultural stability around them. Like, what are you going to do now? You, I mean, he's just said here in chapter 2, verse 16, you are free. So wives don't like that unbelieving husband? Divorce them. Get out of there. That's not what the gospel is saying. Right? You can see how this is like a major disruption to the way in which society is functioning. Right? It's not approving of the way society is functioning, but he's basically trying to give them like, here's a roadmap of how to live as a person, to live in a way that honors people around you, especially in this marriage relationship, especially when you're disadvantaged by the cultural context. Right? And you'll notice... The submission is to honor the difficult place that the unbelieving husband is in. Basically not making things harder for him, but there's no details of what that submission looks like. You'll notice that it doesn't say, so, you know, whatever, I, I hesitate to give any details because I'm not trying to make, this is what the Bible's saying, but like, he's not saying that you have to do the laundry. He's not saying that you have to do the finances. He's not saying that you have to do all these things that we kind of throw under the category of submission. It just says, basically, the details of how you live this out in your marriage, you need to work it out in a way that honors him, even while you are still following Jesus. And it's interesting that he then goes on to kind of read this here, uh, verse 5, for this is how the holy women of old of God used to adorn themselves by submitting their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. It's a great example because... Um, what he's led out in verse 3 is basically saying, if your husband doesn't obey the word, and the, there's actually no direct instance in the history of Abraham, which we're going to get back into when we jump into Genesis in the fall, there's no exact inf, uh, instance where it says explicitly in the Bible, Sarah obeyed Abraham. But we have a couple stories of what happened. Two of them in particular is where Abraham was a, a chicken when he walked into town and kind of like pawned his wife off as a way of getting into the good graces of the kings in town. And uh, that's probably what he has in mind. And in those instances, Abraham is not obeying the word of the Lord. Abraham's not protecting his wife, providing for his wife, caring for his wife. He's putting her in jeopardy. As a, verse six, 6 ends, right? If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, um, in the ancient world, being pawned off by your husband as his sister was a frightening situation to be in. Now, Abraham never abused her, but he put her in a precarious situation that was not good, to say the least. And so that example is kind of the, the, kind of the paradigm of what, what Peter's using here. Wives, as you have now come to Jesus, and you do not have the advantages of being a man in the society and all the things that come with that, live in a way that honors this person you have been mar you were married to. And it may be precarious. He may not like it. He may never talk to you again. So you're, it, it, he may, you can kind of fill in the instances of what happens and what that situation. He may get a second wife and you're kind of put to the side. He may do all these other things that are just crazy. How do you entrust yourself to the Lord? So that by the respectful and pure conduct of your soul towards him, not the ways in which you can manipulate the situation, 
Do you honor God? It's interesting. Uh, Verse 4. But let your adorning be a hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, I recognize that this can be used as a way of basically uh, telling uh, women that you need to not have like a boisterous or I'm trying to figure out the right word for this. Uh, an opinion of your own. <laughs> I'm trying to find the right word because it's just, it's so foreign to me. But he's not saying uh, you, you, by your personality, need to be a, like a quiet church mouse. He's saying the character of your heart towards other people is, you can be opinionated and you can speak your mind, but there is a gentle and humble uh, attitude about you towards your unbelieving husband in this situation. In fact, um, there's a Greek connection to Matthew 11:29. If we could put that up here, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here's the part: for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That gentle word is the exact word used here. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we have Peter telling wives in an uneven marriage and us as we live in disadvantaged situations to put on the character of Jesus Christ himself and his gentle attitude. The dude is the king of the universe. And yet here he comes, gentle and caring for people. And just as a, a way of kind of thinking through, how do we put this on? Because I, I realize that like I'm probably not speaking in the room to like people who are married to unbelieving spouses. Maybe I, maybe you think you are, but not to my knowledge. <laughs> but I think one of the things that think about here is in the moments where we are disadvantaged, in whatever way, in our intimate relationships. What type of refuge does it provide for the people around us when we put on a humble, demeaning character? We put on, and we have in our own hearts, a soul that is not ruled by the manipulation, by the political intrigue, by the gossip, all that sort of junk in the world. When we just, we can speak our mind, care for people, love them, and we don't have to engage in all that manipulate, all that stuff. It provides, similar to Jesus, a refuge for the people around us. Which, in fact, is what this wife is being called to. Imagine her husband in the precarious situation he is, not a believer, a believing wife, all that stuff. She is, in fact, to become to him that type of refuge that is gentle and caring and loving and understanding and the way Jesus is to us. What a high calling. I mean, what an amazing thing that Peter's laying out. right? He's not pushing women down. He's in fact saying, you need to become just like the king of the universe that you now claimed allegiance to and put on his type of character. Is, the, the, is this kind of tracking with how this is different? All right. I can go on and on and on about this. If you want, you can do the Q&A. That's fine. I can keep ranting about this. But we're going to go on now to verse 7. All right, you guys cool with that? 
Now, the flip side of the equation, right? Wives, love your husbands, um, honor even with disadvantaged husbands. Now, verse 7, honor even when disad- even with advantages. All right, let's read verse 7 here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It is very likely that Peter is addressing um, an unbelieving spouse situation again because he's done that with slaves, he's done that with wives, and here even, I'm not going to bore you with some of the the Greek participle stuff. I I know you guys are like super into that. Um, It's very likely that there's, he's speaking basically to an unbelieving, a husband with an unbelieving wife, right? Um, I think it's interesting here that in the social, like, if you go back and read kind of the household, sorry, do I, I didn't mean to knock this. In the household codes of the ancient world, husbands were addressed first, and here um, in the kingdom of Christ, husbands are addressed last. I'm not, I don't think that's putting down on men. I think it's just honoring the, using social conventions and flipping them around so that we see especially the honoring of people who are disadvantaged without neglecting even people who have advantages in life. Like this husband would have been, husbands would not have been uh, would have faced the same dynamics for an unbelieving spouse, right? Um, but his wife could have gossiped around the town about, you know, can you believe it that he goes to this worship service and they eat the body and blood of their savior? That's crazy. What sort of cannibalism is that? You know, any sort of ways in which they could have um, been subversive or demeaning towards their husbands. And here the command is. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. It's fascinating to me how Peter kind of does these like two steps of like acknowledging social categories and then undermining them with the power of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. He comes in and says, look, you might have an unbelieving wife. Live with her in an understanding way, right? She's going to do things that might might displease you or might be frustrating for you or might just undermine your witness for the gospel still live with her in an understanding way wives um women weaker vessels co-heir of christ so let's just kind of talk about this weaker vessel thing right i think it is very clear to me that um in the ancient world they would have basically understood something similar to men were given strength and power um to take on responsibilities outside the home. Women were given domesticity to be able to take care of things on the inside of the home. And Peter is acknowledging those, but I think what he's referring to here when he says women as the weaker vessel honor them, I think that he is referring to their social standing in the world around them. Right, the primary understanding of that physical strength, I think is probably a part of this, that just by general, you know, realities, men are physically stronger uh, than women, uh, but don't challenge me to an arm wrestle. Um, But I think the weaker vessel is weaker in the sense of social entitlement and empowerment, because he's just spent six verses instructing women on how to engage in a life where they are disadvantaged, right? He spends upwards of eight verses on slaves who are disadvantaged by the culture around them, and then one verse on men. 
I kind of read that through, it seems to me that he is acknowledging the ways in which women are socially unempowered as a weaker vessel and using his physical advantages or cultural advantages as a way of honoring her. You might call this, like, the, the whole conversation around, you know, privileges or whatever, it gets very confusing sometimes. But to the extent that that's helpful, he's using his privilege or his advantages as a way of honoring his wife. Let's finish out this verse here. Um, and then I'll give a few more thoughts here. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered, right? He ends the verse by basically saying, like, on your wives in this way, your unbelieving wife in this particular way, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And it's fascinating to me the way in which then verse 12, he goes on to say, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right, so he immediately goes into talking about hearing or not hearing prayer, which is very similar. It feels very, uh, it, it has a flavor to me of when Jesus talks about how to pray. And he ends by saying in verse, um, uh, can we go to the next verse there, or next slide? Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if, you for, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It seems to me that what Jesus is saying, what Peter is picking up on here is to the extent that you live in a way that is Christ-like, oriented towards giving towards others, even if you have advantages, you are in tune with the Father who loves to hear your prayers. But if you use your advantages or manipulate, abuse, and demean others, if you are not living, as verse 12 would say, in a righteous way like after Jesus, fathers, the Father is not very interested in hearing your prayers because they are often to spend on your own interests and your own agenda. Here, Peter is calling even husbands and then by extension us with our advantages to use our station, whatever the, the culture around us affords us, as a way to make sure that others are given life and honor and support in all the ways that we can towards them. All right. I want to end by asking this final question here, or this final category. How do we live in a way that honor everyone, to honor everyone at all times? Because I feel like we kind of get lost in the weeds of this husband-wife thing, and I'm, I'm happy to answer questions about that. I think it's very clear to me, and I hope that it's clear for you, that Peter is addressing us as people who are in Jesus, in our exile, in our place. We don't live where we belong. We don't live in the physical reality that Jesus will renew someday. And how do we live in these complicated situations, right? If your head's kind of spinning with like, oh, this doesn't quite answer everything for me, it doesn't give me all the details, that's kind of the point. Like, Peter does not give us details of what it means for both the husband and wife in like a list sort of fashion. He gives us character qualities. So I want to end by reading verse 16 to 17 and then verse 25 and kind of ending on those sort of thoughts. And ending on some thoughts with this. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, 
honor the emperor, and then down to verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, Peter, in the complicated dynamics of our life of coming to Jesus, right? It's not cookie-cutter, hallmark, they have a great story, and then they all fall in love together at the end. It's complicated. It's not easy. Um, When Peter addresses that, he's helping us to recognize that we are people that are being shaped to be more like Jesus in our discipleship in him. Right? It's the point of the Christian message is not to get something from God. The point of the Christian message is to be shaped to be something in Christ. And that's fascinating is that here in the section on servants, what does he do? Peter riffs on how did Jesus live out his huge stature and all the rights and privileges that he had. He put it in service for the good of other people, right? You can read over that again if you want. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It seems to me that Peter is, in a certain sense, by saying honor the people around you that are not believers, honor the people, especially people who are believers, honor the people who are not believers, honor them even when you're in intimate relationships with them, family, friends, marriage, whatever that is. Honor is just a code word for the fruits of the Spirit, I think. How do we, can we put these up here real quick, fruits of the Spirit? How do we, imagine what your life would be like in living with the people around you who are not believers, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. How do the people in your life who don't know Jesus, how do they, what would, it look, what would they experience as love, care for them? Bro, we do not live in a joyful world. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know what your Facebook timeline is like. My Facebook timeline is not very happy these days. What would it be like to be in the midst of difficult life circumstances, a joyful person that honors the people around us? Somebody who's promoting peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, I... I don't know what your life was with with folks who don't know Jesus, but I'll tell you, those things strike me as if I can be the type of person who's shaped to be like Jesus, that will in and of itself be a witness for the Jesus Christ himself for those around me. Jesus who has self-control so that, for example, in his relationship with the women around him, at no point did they feel threatened or objectified. Or for his relationship with the men in his life, they felt encouraged. They felt gentleness. They felt, here is a good man I want to follow. Right? It goes both ways. See, what Peter is calling us to is reminding us, you live in a complicated world. It's not easy. Rather than giving you a list of to-dos and don'ts and all that stuff, it is the quiet inner person of the soul as you are shaped to be like Jesus that you become in a certain sense cross shaped by his giving of himself and all the rights that he had for the good of other people that we become more and more like him the emphasis being it's important that your discipleship is being more like Jesus than winning the arguments right you can be right in the arguments and wrong in the shape of your soul.
So Peter is calling us to honor people around us, the closest people to us, even when it's not easy, even when it's not obvious. It may look like not having the final word in an argument or conversation. It may look like being misunderstood. It may look like trying to follow righteousness when the government is wrong. Honoring Jesus looks like his cross. Honoring people around us looks like Jesus' cross, which is not getting the final word, but is living in a way that honors people even when they don't recognize it. I hope that as we've looked through this that we've seen the call of the life in Jesus that we have is to honor those closest to us even when loving Jesus makes the world more complicated. Let's pray. God, as we have looked at this passage, I, I feel like we've kind of got a window into what's going on. I pray you'd help us to honor people even as we don't have all the answers. And it's complicated. We want to follow you. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.